Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually, consciously living today. Here's your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour. We get a chance to explore yoga in its depth and breadth, looking at the philosophy and practices as a path for spiritually conscious, fulfilled living today. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and today's topic is timely, cultivating calm, clarity, and courage in crazy times. And I'm so delighted to um, be joined today by Philip Goldberg. He's a good friend and a prolific author, and he's been studying the world's spiritual traditions for more than 50 years. He's an illuminating and entertaining public speaker and workshop leader, meditation teacher, and an ordained interfaith minister. He's the author and co-author of numerous books, including the one we're going to focus on today, which is Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times. It's going to be published in August, but it's been available now uh, as an ebook, and people have just been you know, grabbing it up because it's timely and it's inspiring. Um, he contributes regularly to Elephant Journal and Spirituality and Health magazine online and leads American Veda tours of India. You can find out more about Phil Goldberg and his programs at his websites, uh, spiritmatters.com, and um, that's also a wonderful podcast that um, Phil and Dennis Ramundi uh, do, as well as his author site, philipgoldberg.com. Um, welcome, Philip Goldberg. I'm so delighted that you're back with Yoga Hour and that you have this new book out. Thank you. It's so wonderful to be back with you. Always great to speak with you. Thank you. So before we start talking, um, let's practice a little bit about of what we're going to talk about, which is <laughs> how to just uh, kind of slow down a little bit and just be. So uh, for our listeners this morning, I'm going to invite you to join us and just taking a moment to connect with ourselves, to be present here and now. And of course, breath Breath awareness is such a wonderful tool for that. So wherever you are, I want to invite you to just become conscious of your breath and take a good, deep, refreshing breath if you can do that. And with that exhalation, just let go of stress. And again, breathing in with the intention of connecting more deeply. And breathing out, a letting go. 
And if you're not driving your car or walking around, if you're sitting and want to close your eyes, that's also a wonderful way to draw your attention within. But if you're walking, just bring attention to your body. If you're driving, you can do that too. And be aware of your breath. Cool air entering the nostrils, warm air blowing out. And this morning, or whatever time zone you're in, let's be aware of life as breath and everything breathing, the whole earth breathing, plants breathing, animals breathing, we're breathing, this beautiful rhythm of life. Breathing in, breathing out. And as we become more aware of the breath, there's a natural thing that happens where the breath simply slows, becomes a little more subtle, and our thoughts begin to settle. And when that happens, I want to invite you to look for that moment between exhalation and inhalation. It's a meditative moment. It's a yoga moment. It's actually a moment of stillness. It's like when the ocean tide flows in and then it seems there's a moment of quiet before the wave returns. It's like that with the breath, a moment of stillness at the peak of inhalation before it changes direction and at the peak of exhalation before it cycles into inhalation again. So see if you can notice that little moment And noticing that moment, see if you can just dive into it. Into the silence, into the stillness as a doorway to the stillness, to the silence that is within always. And this morning as we look at how to be sane in crazy times, we find, of course, that this is a primary thing that we can do. We can access the stillness within us, the calm within us, the eye and the hurricane, place of stillness that is renewing, resourceful. The benefits of daily meditation touch all areas of our life. And then as awareness grows, we experience radiant health, peaceful mind, and more harmony in our relationships. So starting right now, draw a circle of unbroken awareness from your moment of meditation into every action in your day. Know that you are the conscious witness of your thoughts and actions. Remain inwardly serene and unmoved by changing conditions, by returning to yourself 
your Supreme Self again and again. So with one more breath, I encourage you to bring your attention back to your surroundings, to the environment, and to the readiness for the wisdom that is prepared uh, for us to receive in this moment as we have this special opportunity to be with Phil Goldberg and to contemplate spiritual practice for crazy times. Again, welcome back, Phil. I um, I enjoyed uh, the opportunity to um, preview and read your book ahead of time and add my uh, endorsement for it. It's a wonderful book. And, you know, one of the things that I got out of it um you know, as a longtime practitioner, the practices were not new to me. Um, but what I got out of it was more inspiration for practice, which, um, you know, I think we need. So whether you're new to practice or you're a longtime practitioner, just, you know, a, a read that says, look, <laughs> this is important. Um, and even though we know that if we're longtime practitioners, it's still helpful to have uh, renewed inspiration because the pull of conditions is uh, so strong right now. And um, I really liked how you began uh, the book with a story uh, about uh, David uh, Cypress. I guess that's how you'd say his name, his cartoon from New yeah. Yorker. Um, and so if you don't mind, you want to start with that story because it's just kind of <laughs> where we are. Okay. Um, I, uh, I, I can, we pause a minute. I'm hearing my voice echo. Uh, you're sounding okay here. Uh, okay. Oh, now I don't. Okay. Something was off. Yes. Uh, when I started the book, um, I went back to, uh, look at some of the, uh, to, I wanted to cite a cartoon that had been sent to me early last year uh, in 2019. Uh, things were crazy then, if you know, believe it or not, <laughs> even then. And um, the cartoon was by a New Yorker magazine cartoonist I'm familiar with, but I'd never seen this cartoon before. And it's two people walking on a city street, presumably New York, and one says to the other, my desire to be well-informed is currently at odds with my desire to remain sane. <laughs> and it, 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 I, I immediately understood why it was being circulated. You know, friends sent it to me by email. Uh, and I, you know, saved it and I put it on Facebook and all that. But then when I started writing this book later in 2019, I said, I want to I want to mention that cartoon. So I'll Google it. And so I get the uh, citation correct. And I ran into um, an essay by the cartoonist himself uh, explaining that every time. Uh, public life, you know, social conditions get um, uh, turbulent, that cartoon gets goes viral again. And 
because people feel overwhelmed, they can they feel confused and they feel torn like the person in the cartoon between, you know, staying on top of what's going on and wanting to protect yourself and, and as it says, stay sane. And uh, but then as I read the essay, it turns out that he wrote the essay two years earlier. Mm -hmm. before I'd ever seen the cartoon. So even then, things were going on. But the real shocker was I, was, I was wondering why I'd never seen the cartoon since I subscribed to the magazine. It turns out it was first published in the 1990s. <laughs> and so that, you know, sometime 25, 30 years ago, things were crazy enough for him to have published a cartoon about somebody being torn between being well-informed and staying sane. And it turns out that ever since then, it keeps showing up. So that, to me, was an important message. Uh, and, and it was one that was important for me in the book. I wrote the book last year, and times were crazy then. And, I, you know, it was prompted by my... Uh, encounters with people saying how overwhelmed they are and and um, how uh, helpless they felt and how angry they were and exhausted they were by my you know the conditions of the world and and so I decided to write the book and then of course it got even crazier this year when the you know after I finished with the book. Um, and so my but one of the points I wanted to make in the book is that the advice and everything in it, the principles, the practices, they're timeless. Mm -hmm. they, they're relevant now in the midst of this crazy pandemic and turbulent social turbulence and the election season. But I, I didn't know all this was going to be happening when I wrote the book. Things were crazy last year when I wrote it, mm -hmm. but they'll be crazy again, you know, regardless of what happens in the world. Because And for each of us as individuals, even in the best of times, our personal lives could get turbulent. Things happen and times can get crazy for us in our work and our family lives, you know, our health, whatever it may be. So. I wanted the book to have a timeless feel and to, to make the point that every, everything in it is, will have relevance regardless of what's going on in the outer world. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, that's why the cartoon uh, hit home for me so, so much. It totally does. And, and of course, um, you know, you've, you've written uh, many other uh, wonderful books and um, the one before this, The Life of Yogananda. Um, and so, so many of our listeners are um, devotees of Yogananda. And, you know, one of the things that I've pointed out is that, you know, times were not easy <laughs> when he was doing what he was doing, right? Oh, and your book, your book, The Life of Yogananda, makes that very clear. And, you know, one can see that in his in his writings and his encouragement of people to, you know, not be sidetracked by troubled times. Um, 
I guess, uh, you know, when I look at the book too, of course, Bill, there, you know, you're a longtime yogi and meditator. And so the practices that you offer there are really solid and they're for anybody. And as you say, they're timeless. They're for, um, you know, when times are difficult and, you know, when times are good. So, um, you know, in, in, in the introduction to the book, you, you mentioned that, you know, spiritual practice does two things for us. You know, one is it gives us, uh, it's a doorway to equanimity when we're dealing with challenging times. And it's also a platform for um, skill in action, really. It was yes, put it that yes. way, like, like the Gita. So, you know, I know some people, um, you know, worry that, you know, we're having a, a spiritual bypass, you know, if we're, if we're turning away from conditions into spiritual practice, yes. but, um, yeah, I don't think so. I think you, you make that really strong point that it can give us equanimity and also a platform for having sane, um, responses. Is there anything that you would add or write differently today as, as the insanity has ramped up? <laughs> well, um, I added, a paragraph at the end of the preface, we were in the final stages of proofreading uh, when the pandemic hit. And I thought, oh, should I, I, I don't have time to go back and change everything. Um, and I realized that at, at most, the only thing I would change would be, you know, to mention the pandemic specifically at some point in the book uh, to, to perhaps uh, encourage people to use this uh, uh, enforced isolation as a spiritual retreat and to take advantage of it if, if they have the opportunity to do so. Um, but then I realized, you know, by the time the book comes out, everything will be different by, you know, six months mm -hmm. later, the pandemic may be over. So I didn't want to get too specific. And so I the, the only thing I would have added were things like that or maybe an anecdotes about the pandemic. But um, I wanted the timelessness to remain. I would not have added any practice that's mm -hmm. different. All the practices in the book, and it's very practice-oriented, um, you know, are, are perennial. And mm -hmm. so, no, I wouldn't do that. In, in my talks, uh, lately and now that the book is out of course i i'm mentioning the pandemic this is you know we're in a terrible crisis it, it's as if the book were made for for this time and um i i'm not usually uh, <laughs> on the cutting edge but here i am <laughs> i mean and and as you mentioned when you introduced me um you know the book is officially published on august 4th so people hearing this uh, between now and then can pre-order the book, and I would encourage them to do so, and it'll be mailed uh, on that date. But the publisher, Hay House, uh, with my encouragement, um, when the pandemic hit, the, the book was uh, close enough to uh, technologically to be able to uh, produce the uh, a digital version, you know, so if you have a Kindle or you read on your smartphone or your computer, um, you can have the book now, and many people have, and we lowered the price, so you can get the ebook for $1.99, because we wanted to make it available in the uh, immediacy of this crisis, 
the you know paper you know production and shipment and all that had to wait uh, the normal uh, timing, uh, but the ebook came out early because of the crisis we're in. Yeah, and it seems that every day it seems more relevant. It is, and I felt like that um, way in which your, you and your publisher made it available was a, definitely a gift to us all at this time. Um, you know, I, I wanted to ask you about, um, because I understand, and I think probably most of our listeners to Yoga Hour understand uh, the supportive uh, nature of spiritual practice during turbulent times. And of course, now it's sort of like we're um, experiencing what the sages have told us about on steroids, you know, that the world is always going to be unsafe and unstable until uh, anchored in the divine. Um, but I find that one of the challenges people are facing is actually um, getting to that spiritual practice, um, yeah. actually finding that anchor um, because the pull of the world is so strong and it affects the mind. You know, people feel depressed um, or anxious, which then makes it difficult to get to practice. So what do you say about how to get well, going? Those are terribly important points. And in fact, the book came about because of two uh, interesting reactions I was getting uh, from people because the times were so uh, challenging. And these are, in many cases, people who are veterans of the spiritual pra uh, path and had practices. And one of them, one of the reactions was, uh, I'm taking on the world. I'm, I'm very uh, active. I want to change things. I don't have time for spiritual practice. I'm too busy. The other was, I'm so upset. I'm, I have so much anxiety. I have so much uh, anger. I have so much uh, concern uh, that I can't, uh, I can't do my regular practice. Uh, my mind's too crazy. Uh, my body's too uh, nervous. And I find both of those reactions uh, misconceptions. And that's one of the reasons I wrote the book. So taking them one at a time. First, the, the person who was so uh, busy and so uh, engaged didn't want to take the time. And I understand that. I, I mean, I've been meditating for more than 50 years now, and I still, I mean, it's just part of my life. I do it every day. But still, there are times when I feel, oh, man, I got, you know, I got so much to do. But I, I have come to know, and I think you have, and I hope your listeners, but we need reminders that spiritual practice, what the yogis call sadhana, a regular daily practice, whatever yours may be, is not a luxury. It's not something you do, you know, when you have the time and when you retire or, you know, only on Sunday morning or whatever, or, you know, whatever your Sabbath is. It's something that is, should be, can be uh, part of the routine of life like showering and brushing your teeth, it's ongoing maintenance. 
it's a necessity. It's, it's as important as getting a good night's sleep or proper eating or exercise. And that's what spiritual practice has meant to me. My meditation is, it's, it's not only a sacred thing, it's, it's a very practical way of maintaining my well-being, my mind, my body, my spirit. And by doing it every day and making a habit of it, um, you, you get over that business of finding the time for it. It just becomes part of your life. And you realize at a certain point that it's a really good investment of time because it's not taking away from your activity. It is giving you the opportunity to bring into your activity more of the best of yourself. So you have more energy, you have more wisdom, you have more clarity of mind, you have uh, more uh, compassion in your heart, and, and you're more effective in your actions. So to me, uh, it's a preparation for activity. It's a platform for being dynamic and effective in the world. The other part of it that people complain about. I'm so too upset. I can't, my mind can't settle down. You don't do inner practices like meditation or mindfulness or prayer or any of the things we do when you're calm only. And I'm, what I say in the book is uh, waiting till you're calm to meditate is like waiting till you're clean to take a shower. You, <laughs> You do these things, these practices are remedies for the anxiety and the uh, depression and the fear and the worry. They're not, you don't have to get rid of those uh, qualities in order to do your practices. You do your practices and they will give you more of the inner calm and alleviate some of the worry and the and the fear and the anxiety it won't make you indifferent right. it won't make you escape the world it won't make you complacent but it will alleviate that overlay of craziness that allows you to approach your life with more uh compassion and equanimity and clarity well, so, thank you, because I think you've just um, demonstrated what I was pointing to about the book, which is even if you're a longtime practitioner, what you'll discover in the book, it, some of the practice may be very familiar to you, um, but you'll be, you'll be given the inspiration for how important it is to practice. And we're going to talk more about that uh, when we come back from the break. You're listening to the Yoga Hour with our guest today, Bill Bolberg, author of American Veda, Road Signs on the Spiritual Path, Life of Yogananda, and the book we're discussing today, Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times. So we'll be right back with you in just a moment. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to The Yoga Hour, living the eternal way with your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. 
I'm delighted to be uh, speaking this morning with author and spiritual teacher Philip Goldberg, who has a new book coming out on spiritual practice for crazy times. And it's out right now. If you're feeling crazy <laughs> or know that the times are crazy, you can get the ebook. Uh, or you can also sign up, of course, to um, uh, pre-order. For, the pre, for the pre-order, and then the book will be shipped to you when it comes out in August. Also want to let you know that Phil um, will be joining us at Center for Spiritual Enlightenment with an online workshop from the book on August 10th at 6.30 p.m., that specific time. So uh, that'll be online. You'll be able to see him and hear more from him about this book. Um, I Let's talk, we've been talking about the necessity and uh, of spiritual practice and how it can help us have not only equanimity, so we don't lose our cool while things feel so... Uh, unstable and out of our control. Well, they don't feel that way. I mean, they do feel that way, but they are that way. I mean, it's, it's, not, that, it's not that they just feel that way. They are that way. Um, so we can get some equanimity from our spiritual practice and also um, a little more perspective and sanity in terms of how we respond rather than uh, react. And so let's start off this second segment of the program, Phil, talking about what are these practices that you're talking about as essential for helping us do that? Well, we talked in the first part about core practices such as meditation. For me, uh, the most important thing is to establish a regular daily routine of practice that works for you. And the key element there is a, a deep practice that brings you to what I, I call in the book, uh, our sanctuary of peace that we all have within us. We, we all have at the core of our being a sanctuary of peace, a, a fortress of strength that is our true self. Your regular listeners understand that uh, because it's the, the the core teaching of yoga. Um, and so establishing a regular practice that brings you in, uh, in tune with, in touch with, in alignment with that core of inner peace that you then will bring out into the world uh, when you go into your daily activity. That, to me, is, a, is the crucial thing. But then there's all the supplementary practices. There are things to do before a deep meditation, things to do after meditation. Uh, so I have ch chapters on that. And, and one of the key things, I think, is to develop an inventory of many, many practices, breathing practices, physical practices, practices having to do with your relationships with other people, practices having to do with your environment and the space you're in, the use of art and music and sacred books, all the many, many things I, I uh, discuss in the book um, are to give people the opportunity to sort of establish a, a repertoire of interventions that work for them, things you can do in less than a minute when, when, when you're upset, 
whether it's a, f- a few uh, yogic breaths or uh, if you have uh, it, it, turbulence going on and you need to come back to your center to restore some inner peace, you don't have time to do a, a, a full set of yoga asanas or a deep meditation or a long contemplative prayer, but you may have enough time to do some, just a stretch or to walk up and down the hallway or to dance or to listen to a song that lifts your spirit. Having a repertoire of spiritual practices like those from, from the practices that we consider spiritual, prayer, meditation, mindfulness, uh, to practices that become spiritual because we see them as sacred. We see them as spiritual. We see them as nourishing to the soul. It could be turning on some rock and roll and dancing, but in that moment, that can be a, a spiritual practice for you if it's the right thing at the right time. I have, I have a bunch of breathing practices uh, because, you know, sometimes the, the easiest and quickest thing to do is to turn to the breath to restore that inner calm that gets shaken by outer events. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was going to say that, you know, the, one of the core teachings of yoga, of course, is about flexibility, Yeah, <laughs> you know, at the physical level with asana, but also at the mental, emotional level to have, um, to be able to respond skillfully in the moment. You know, that is one of the benefits of yoga and one that we need most uh, right now, you know, uh, a- a- as we talk about developing practice and the necessity for it during this time, I, I was thinking, about holy smokes you know um i find it difficult enough you know just sheltering in place with my husband who's working in the next room and sometimes i can hear that through the wall right (laughs) um and so that's kind of a thing happening there and um and then i think about well wait a minute you know there are people who are sheltering in place with extended family um they're trying to work at home or they're you know essential workers and they're working overtime or they have kids at home of all ages who are out of school and they're homeschooling them or they've been laid off and they're worried about paying the rent Right, exactly. So I really like what you're saying about, in a way, I call them kind of like mini practices, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. just to be able to, um, you know, do a little alternate nostril breathing, um, right. just, you know, shut the door, sit down, or just get up from the desk and do a couple of stretches or, or like you say, um, dance. <laughs> but I think, mm-hmm. too, one of the things is, um, being able to transform some of the things that we're going to be doing ordinarily. Um, you know, when the pandemic first started, I I took, uh, you know, they, people were, of course, we were instructed and we still are to wash our hands, right? All yeah, the time, yeah, wash yeah. your hands. And people were trying to get the timing down for washing their hands. And so there's that generic suggestion that you sing happy birthday two or three times. <laughs> right. And, you know, I thought, I don't want to be singing happy birthday all the time. You know, I'm you know, that's just not what I want in my mind. So I discovered that the prayer of blessing, you know, for all beings, um, 
Sarvesham Swastir Bhavatu. That one I'm sure you know. Sarvesham Shantir Bhavatu. Sarvesham Purnam Bhavatu. Sarvesham Mangalam Bhavatu. Om Shanti Shanti Shanti. So you can actually use that for your hand That's- washing. That's terrific. And, 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 and you asked before if I would change anything in the book. I, one of the things I might have done is what you can do when you're washing your hands. Yeah. Be- because it's, it's, you know, um, <laughs> because you're right. I do have a lot in the book about, you know, use of music and chanting. And I have, you know, examples of prayers and uh, chants from different traditions uh, just for people to to draw upon if they if they need examples of this. But you're right. I mean, there are mantras, there are hymns if you're if you're religious from your own tradition. Uh, These are sacred practices that can be done even, as you say, when you're brushing your teeth or washing your hands or driving your car or walking. These are ways of returning to the sacred space within you at those moments. And I was thinking about, you know, when I first had that inspiration and I taught it to students on a retreat because the timing is, you know, is just perfect. You know, it gives you the right (laughs) amount of time for washing your hands. And so I, you know, I always want to be respectful of the Hindu tradition. So I reached out to a friend who's a Swami and I said, you know, what do you think about teaching the (laughs) peace prayer, Sarve Sham, for for hand washing? She said, you know, I think it's brilliant, you know, as long as you um, be be sure to let people know that it is not an ancient hand washing prayer. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, (laughs) that it wasn't designed for that but it certainly can be used for that um on the other hand you've been you've been to varanasi or what used to be benares and one of the most beautiful things to observe in places in india like where there's a sacred river is the morning ritual and people come down to bathe and wash and uh, you know brush their teeth and all that but and and they're chanting at the same time, they're mm-hmm. they're doing uh, their morning sadhana, but then it segues often into you know cleansing the body while doing these things. Exactly, and my my trip to Varanasi is still waiting, so mm-hmm. I haven't been there yet. Been to India many times, and that one is. Uh, waiting. I've been reading about it while I've been (laughs) sheltering in place. I've been reading a lovely book about about that city and how it's set up for pilgrimage. Um, But let's talk about, um, in a sense, the mechanics of uh, keeping ourselves tuned in. You know, when the pandemic first started and we had to do some things differently. Of course, we had to do everything differently at the center. And I was praying about it and sort of tuning into our lineage of gurus and the, uh, the guidance I got, the instruction I got, which is so consistent with how they taught and what they did was keep it simple. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the key, you know, to what we need in terms of our spiritual practice and really everything that we're doing. Um, so keep it simple. And of course, when you talk about um, just having that good bag of <laughs> spiritual practices that mm-hmm. you can pull out in a moment of need, you know, that's a good example of um, keeping it simple. 
you know, the other part of that is um, we want to be good citizens. It's very hard to um, tune out completely. And I don't think the times call for us to tune out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we all, if we're old enough, you remember, you know, turn on, tune in, drop out from the 60s. Mm-hmm. Well, um, this is not the time for that. And we're too mature for that. I, so I switched it to turn off, tune out and drop in mm-hmm. um, so that. But that goes that speaks to, you know, sort of turning off our devices, tuning out the word, dropping into our inner center. That's for certain kinds of spiritual practices. But then we want to come back out and we want to be tuned in. We want to be aware of what's going on in the world. And I think the times call for us, uh, those of us who are on the spiritual path, to bring the qualities that nurture our own lives uh, out into the world as much as is appropriate for us. And so, but that requires a certain balance of uh, there's times when I just feel like I can't watch the news for another minute Mm -hmm. or my head will explode. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I, but that business going back to the cartoon we mentioned earlier, I want to be well-informed, but I want to be sane. So part of the spiritual balance is knowing when to turn off the television, when to shut off the smartphone, when to disconnect and come back to, you know, a, uh, an acoustic life, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. of, of just uh, solitude and in, you know, freedom from the the bombardment of the senses and the mind with what's going on in the world, but doing so without going to an extreme of being indifferent to it or um, complacent about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and because if I may, I mean, one other spiritual practice that uh, can be terribly important in crazy times like this is uh, seva, what, what is called seva in, in Sanskrit, meaning selfless service. Um, getting out of our own head and helping somebody else who's in need at this time, uh, doing something that might, you know, contribute uh, to your, your neighborhood, your your community, your country, your world, uh, or just to the old person down the street who may need help with shopping or you know fixing a doorknob or whatever. Anything, or just reaching out to find out if, if somebody in isolation is okay, somebody you care about, somebody uh, who might, uh, who, whose spirit you might raise by just showing that you care, a concern. These are spiritual practices too. They get us out of our ego. They they connect us to the larger world, and and at a time like this. Uh, those are also important parts of of a good spiritual repertoire. Yes, and I th- I think I'm so glad you mentioned that. Of course, because we want to respond, you know, to our community, to the needs of others, get out of our uh, isolation, 
you know, get out of our focus on ourselves and our fears. And that's one way to do it. And then we also, of course, want to be good citizens and be able to respond um, with our spirituality fueling our activism and, you know, responding to the needs of the times. And I, I think you know, there's so much coming up for healing in our nation and in our world, and partly because we are in an existential crisis. So I was thinking about how, you know, having been minister for a long time, you know, when there is um, someone who is gravely ill in the family and the family gathers around, um, mm. And there's always uh, a upset in that family. You know, whatever has not been healed will come up to be healed. Mm. And so I find in the larger crisis that that's part of what, you know, is becoming possible in our time. You know, what needs to be healed is yes. coming up to be healed. And so we all have an important part to play in that, but we want to bring forth our spiritual practice um, as our ground, you know, not our our ego that is reactive, but, you know, how can we contribute to healing? And, um, you know, that's a very important part of our spiritual practice. And, And to discern what can I do? To move from what do I need? What do I need in this moment? Which is the first thing. And and then it's, well, what can I do? What can I bring? Um, the, using Having a regular spiritual practice and being uh, in touch with that sanctuary of peace and strength within us gives us a stronger platform for making a contribution, whether it's, you know, just within the family or to the larger uh, social network or whatever is appropriate for you. But tuning in in that way gives us a little more discernment so we can make good choices. We can choose the uh, activities that are right for us that are what in the yogic tradition would be considered dharmic, you know, in, a, in, a, in accord with our own dharma what is right for us and our highest needs and our highest good, but at the same time is of service. And serving in that kind of selfless way is a yogic practice. It's right there. It's in the Bhagavad Gita. It's in the, all the yogic texts. And, you know, since you, you re- brought up Yogananda earlier, one of the things I got from writing uh, his bi- biography of him, and it uh, helped inspire me in writing. A spiritual practice for crazy times was, um, as you mentioned earlier, he lived through crazy times. The, the Roaring Twenties, the Great Depression, World War II, all as a stranger in a strange land, being, you know, uh, harassed and uh, uh, betrayed and all kinds of things. He, you know, he went through a lot. And he was a great yogi who, and a, a master teacher who always turned people's attention to the realm of spirit, to, to the higher self, to, to the knowledge of what we truly are. We are divine beings. And he, the main thing that he taught was to realize that in our lives in a concrete and tangible way. 
and to not get too caught up in in worldly uh, concerns. Mm -hmm. At the same time, he wanted people to be effective in what they did and to work hard and to work impeccably. And he, I found it very inspiring that he spoke out against uh, the ills of the world that he was living in. He didn't just spiritually bypass and say, oh, that's all illusion. It, you know, don't pay any attention, you know, to racism or injustice or uh, corruption or greed or violence. No, he spoke out against those things. And he, he spoke out on behalf of Indian independence, even though, uh, you know, he was a British subject and could have been uh, deported <laughs> for being a subversive. Right. Um, so this this was inspiring to me for, you know, coming from a, a man who uh, renounced the world in, in a sense, you know, by becoming a monk, uh, yet he was still engaged and still very aware of what's what was going on and um, doing what he could to in, to uh, make uh, effect change. Absolutely. And of course, when we look at yoga practice and we know ahimsa is the foundation um, for our practices and that that is not um, fulfilled by just not doing <laughs> that right. it really is about an active engagement. And uh, we've come to the conclusion of our time together this morning, but I want to give you a moment, Phil, for any uh, last closing words you want to say of encouragement or inspiration for our listeners. We have just about another minute for that. Well, we're in a time when we all need to protect ourselves. We need to protect ourselves uh, against uh, a deadly virus, but we also need to protect ourselves against worry, anxiety, fear, and uh, all the psychic uh, toxins that are, are prevalent. And so do the spiritual two-step Go within, find that inner sanctuary, take refuge there, and then come out and, and bring that gift into your activity in the world and help make it a, a little more sane. I just, I just took a good deep breath hearing that, Phil. <laughs> and um, it was really delightful, as always, to chat with you this morning and to be able to bring some attention to this um, powerful new book that is an inspiration for practice. It'll, it'll help you either establish a toolkit for cultivating calm, clarity, and courage in these crazy times, as the um, title points out. Um, or it will reinforce how important it is to actually put to use the ones that you have. You've been listening to the Yoga Hour, and it's been my pleasure to share this time with you and uh, to welcome Phil Goldberg back. A uh, reminder that you can, uh, if you're in a hurry, <laughs> and I hope you are, you can get the ebook version of Cultivating Calm, Clarity, and Courage in Crazy Times by Philip Goldberg. You can get that online. Um, and you can sign up for uh, pre-order and to get the book that's coming out in August. And uh, you can find out more about uh, Phil. You can listen to his podcast, Spirit Matters, um, at spiritmatters.com. 
and you can find out uh, more about his writing and where you can get that, philipgoldberg.com. And again, he'll be at Center for Spiritual Enlightenment online uh, (laughs) on August 10th at 6.30 p.m. Pacific time, um, sharing with us more from this new book. We have many programs now online offered by Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, and one of them to help you have this ground is a daily um, meditation at 6.30 a.m. Pacific time every day. So you're welcome to join in for that um, supported experience of daily meditation. And there's also Sunday Satsang every week, uh, 10 a.m. You can learn more about programs at CSE uh, at csecenter.org or um, find out about my books and programs ellengraceobrien.com. Thanks again, Phil, for being with me today. Really appreciate it. My joy to be with you always. Thank you. And I want to let our listeners know that next time on the Yoga Hour, Kate Stillman will be here with my co-host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. And Kate has a new book out called Master of You. And uh, she is a wonderful uh, Ayurvedic practitioner and teacher. And they're going to talk about the five elements um, to help us bring some balance to our home and uh, body, ambition, time, and integrity. Uh, the Yoga Hour is a service project of Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. And I want to give thanks to our Yoga Hour team, a shout out to uh, Dr. Trujillo, my co-host, assistant producers, Ann Hayes and Mickey Coronado, and our CSE's Global Media Outreach Manager, Holly Gray, and also to Louis Pagan and Jeff Comfort at Unity FM in the sound booth who support us all the time. Thanks to everyone. Remember to touch on your inner peace and share that peace with all that you meet today. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry, where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. 